Um, how does the story of Jonah start? How does the story of Jonah start? What happens like chapter one, basically? Anybody that don't, get your phone out and look in your Bible, because none of you have got a proper one anymore. Uh, anybody know how the book of Jonah starts? Come on, some of you kids must know. Some of you adults must know. It's not a kid's service, it's an all-age service. Come on, somebody tell me what happens. Jonah chapter one. The people of Ninia start being devoured. Yes, and then God speaks to a man called Jonah, and he says, what? Go to Nineveh, and Jonah goes, no. Okay. So then what does Jonah try and do? Runs away. Where does he end up? No, before he gets to Nineveh, and before he ends up, and it's not a whale. There's no Hebrew word for whale, Sharon. You should know this. You were a Hebrew scholar. Big fish. Well done. So he runs away, gets on a ship. There's a big storm. Okay, I thought you knew your Bibles, you lot. I'm going to have to go through the story. There we go. Simon's got it nailed on. There we go. Ends up in a big ship. Uh, gets thrown overboard. Ends up in a big fish. No Hebrew word for whale. Big fish. And then uh, the fish uh, spews him out uh, onto a beach. And then um, what happens then? He does what he's been told. There we go. There we go. And then he delivers a five-word sermon. It's five words in Hebrew. A five-word sermon to the evening of it. And what happens? They repent. What happens next? He's not happy. He's not happy. And then there's a whole other chapter. Chapter four, because it comes after chapter three. And we're going to talk about that chapter this morning, eventually. Because most people know about the fish bit. They don't know what happens in chapter Four. So we're going to get onto these comfy blankets, and uh, but before we do, I want to talk a little bit about Jonah and the types of people God uses, because this is what happens. Okay, this is chapter one and verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah to the great city and preached against it because its wickedness has come before me. So God very clearly calls Jonah. He says, "Jonah, you're my man, and I want you to go deliver a message," which is weird, isn't it? Because what you know about Jonah is that he has no love for pretty much anybody other than himself and his own people. He's rebellious. He runs away. He tells the sailors to kill him. So he basically, the, 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 he com- convinces other people to commit murder. Uh, and then when he does go to Nineveh, he's so reluctant that he goes, well, I'll do what you've told me, God, in as little words as possible, with as little enthusiasm as possible, and I'm going to utter five words. Um, There is very little about Jonah that is upright, righteous, faithful, committed, trustworthy, or submitted. All the characters and traits that we'd want to see in someone whom God had chosen to use on the earth. Jonah has basically none of them. And yet, he is one of the most well-known prophets in the Bible. But that got me thinking. Anybody else know any other characters in the Bible who were a little bit dodgy? Anybody think of anybody who was a bit dodgy? Anybody think of any murderers in the Bible? David, Moses. David, Moses. Yeah. Any adulterers in the Bible? David. David. Want image your spiritual dad? Pastor? Adulterer? Murderer? Apparently he was a man after God's own heart, though. How about Solomon? He ended up being an arms dealer. And he was a serial adulterer because um, he had about a thousand wives. I don't know whether that means he's an adulterer or not, if they were his wives. But anyway, it's not great, is it? Uh, who else have we got? Samson? Yeah. Abraham? Apparently he's righteous, but twice he gave his wife away to look after his own skin to other men. 
but apparently he's righteous. Uh, who else was there? Jacob, serial deceiver. Peter denying Jesus. I mean, the list just goes on, doesn't it? The list goes on. It seems that it's very hard to find biblical characters who do great things who would fit our modern-day kind of job description of somebody we would want to be in charge of anything or do anything for God. I mean, how many of these people get into Bible college? How many of them would get a job if it was on a job description? Hardly any of them. The point is that trying to work out whether someone is sent from God or doing what God wants by looking at their character might not give you the answer. Now, of course, character is really important, but it seems that to char- character isn't the be and end all for God to use somebody. It can be more than possible for God to use people who do not possess the character we might want them to have. Jonah teaches us all sorts of things, but one of the things he teaches us before we get onto the blankets is that God will call and use whoever he wants to call and use, whether we like it or not, and whether we think they have the heart and character that we think they should have. After all, according to Isaiah 58, I don't think the way you think, the way you work, isn't the way I work. Okay, that's my first point about Jonah. It was a bit cold. Don't be so selfish that somebody else go first. Your feet, there you go, have a blanket. Anybody else want a blanket? This one's a bit thin. Anybody else want a blanket? Donna wants a blanket. Oh, Oscar wants a blanket. There you go, Oscar. You have that one, sweetheart. Donna, you can have that one, love. You. She's already got one. You're freezing. Love. Anybody else want a blanket? Anybody else want a blanket? Anthony, you have that one, sweet. Good lad. He says that, one, that one's better than his one. You what? No, I left the dog's blanket at home on purpose. Do you want an answer? There you go, darling. You have a blanket. And this is one you can put your arms in. Anybody want this one? It's one of those ones you can probably... Anybody want this one? Matt wants that one. Oh, well, somebody just grab it. Otherwise, this is going to take forever. Oh, sorry, Maddie. Oh, oh, missed you. Which nice fleecy one? This one. This one's the scrattiest one I've got. Don't go on outside appearances, Samantha. I've taught you that. Come on. You've got to look at the heart. All right, anybody? This one's nice. Anybody? Oh, you best have one because you're always freezing. Anybody else want one? Oh, there we go. Anchor's getting inside that one. Look at that. It's literally like a wedding dress on you. It's that long. Okay. All right, while you're all nice and comfy, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about what happens to Jonah from the end of chapter 3. Because chapter 3 and verse 10 starts like this. God saw what Nineveh had done in the sense that they'd they'd repented. They'd listened to God and gone, we're really sorry, we're going to repent now. They turned away from their evil lives. What he said, what God said he would do with them, he didn't do. Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God. God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. Oh, he's really not happy, is he? He's really not happy. And he's got good reason to be not happy because Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria was the most brutal country in the world at the time. They were the first people to develop crucifixion. I mean, the Romans perfected it, but they developed it. 
they would bury people up to their heads and leave them there to die. Just anybody, not because you were a soldier, just, just anybody. Most towns and villages would rather end their own lives than submit themselves to Assyrian captors. These were barbaric, awful people. And there's archaeological evidence um, that, they, that the Assyrians had uh, desecrated an Israelite town. And Jonah, of course, is an Israelite. These people are awful. These people are ancient world Nazis or ISIS or Al-Qaeda. This, this is the sort of people that he's been sent to. So I have a little bit of kind of like compassion for Jonah. Because he's like, I just want them dead, God. Do you know what these people have done? Do you know what these people are like? And you've decided that you're not going to destroy them because I give a little word. So he's really upset. He's really angry. In fact, he's so angry, he says this, if you won't kill them, just kill me. I'm better off dead. And then God said, what do you have to be angry about? What do you have to be angry about? So he went out of the city to the east and sat down in the sulk. He put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches and sat there in the shade to see what would happen to the city. What does he want to happen to the city? I think he's waiting going, I know. They'll turn their mind in a minute. And maybe God's forgiveness won't last very long. And maybe he'll change his mind or maybe they'll change my mind. And maybe I'll see fire and brimstone coming down and that'll make me feel a whole lot better. God arranged for a broad leaf tree to spring up. It grew over Jonah to cool him off and get him out of his angry sulk. Jonah was pleased and enjoyed the shade. Life was looking up. Then God sent a worm. By dawn of the next day, the worm had bored into the shade tree and it withered away. The sun came up and God sent a hot, blistering wind from the east. The sun beat down on Jonah's head and he started to faint. He prayed to die. Oh, I'm better off dead. Then God said to Jonah, what right do you have to get angry about the shade tree? Plenty of right, said Jonah. It's made me angry enough to die. Oh, he's really, he's really got his shackles up, hasn't he, Jonah, the poor lad? I've got plenty of right to be angry. God said, what's this? How is it that you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a made shade tree that you did nothing to get? Blankets back, please. Come on. Where are they? Where's my blankets? Thank you. I'll have it back now. Come on. Get off it. You, ha you have no right to be angry. It's not your blanket. There you go. Where's Anchor gone? She's hiding. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I'm not going to give it <laughs> Give me a blanket. Give me a blanket. Get off it. Who else has slyly got one? Who's sliding down in the seat to have one? I did take a blanket from a sailor lady. What right do you have to be angry? How is it you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a mere blanket that you did nothing to get? You neither sowed it nor made it. It was given to you one day and taken away the next. Why can't I likewise change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? This big city of more than 120,000 people who don't yet know right from wrong. They say nothing of all the innocent animals. Okay. 
I'm going to have to fold them all up now again. That's annoying. Now I'm angry at folding them up. I love God's question. What do you have to be angry about? And I love Jonah's answer. I have got every right to be angry. I love it because he's not a, it's not a good Christian answer. Oh, no, I don't have any right to be angry. I'm really sorry, God, but I am really angry, but I'm not going to tell you because no, I shouldn't be angry, so I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to pretend I'm not. I love it. Now, last week we celebrated, and I did say this week we're talking about lamenting, but as I say, I realized a few different things. But Jonah's angry because of what he's seeing, and he's deep, deeply unhappy because of God's grace and mercy. Which is one of the reasons I love the Bible, because it's so real. Because it's very important, as well as celebrating and thanking God for all the good things we also bring before and the not-so-good things. When we did this back in September, I gave you a little worksheet. You might remember in all of September, we talked about new seasons. And we divided the sheet into four quadrants. And we talked about positive things from last year, negative things from last year. This year, I'm excited about with wrong grammar. And this year, I'm not excited about... <laughs> And we're not going to do it again, but, but it's just a super useful thing to do, regularly. Uh, and I take this stuff really seriously, so seriously, I'm, I'm taking myself off for four days next week, and I'll be asking myself those four questions. What is positive from last year? What is not so good? What am I excited about, and what am I not excited about? As a starting point, to try and work out and process and give time and space. Now I'm very blessed and privileged to be able to take four days out to do that, and very few of us are able to do that. But God will honor whatever you can give him. You might be able to give him an hour, an evening, an afternoon, but we can give him, some, we can give him something to think through and ponder it. And it's important we do, because you see, the reason I'm, I'm doing this like I am is because I can't get fully into the new if I'm still carrying a load of baggage from the old. So I care. I can be I go, all right, Derek, where we're going, what are you seeing? What? And, and there's lots of things to be excited about. But if I'm still carrying a lot of suitcases from last year, right, they're just going to hinder me getting into this year. So I'm going to take plenty of time to make sure that I'm not doing that. I'll do my best to give space to do that. I don't necessarily mean that it'll all get sorted, but I want to know that I've given space and time for God to speak. And if he speaks, he speaks. If he doesn't, he doesn't. That's up to him. But I just want to know that I've had time to listen. The root issue, of course, in this is that Jonah doesn't like how God does things. So God tries to teach Jonah his heart by giving him an object lesson, which is what we tried to do. But whether Jonah likes the people or the plant, they're both gods. And God will treat them however he wants to treat them. You might have been enjoying your blanket and feeling all warm and cozy. But... They're my blankets. And I can do what I want with them, can I? I didn't give them to you. I just let you borrow one for a time. But a lot of the time, if I choose to take them away, you don't really have any right to be mad at me for using what is mine and I want to use it. You don't really have any right to be mad at me for using what is mine and I want to use it. And ultimately, God will do what God wants to do. You may not like it, you may think he's wrong. You may get very angry, but at the end of the day, the underlying issue is that he doesn't operate like you and me. So let's end with this question. What do you have to be angry about? Now listen, it's okay 
to feel angry and upset when we've been hurt. And it's healthy and wise to be real about that and to learn to express it in healthy ways. Because if you don't express it in a healthy way, it just stays there and eventually it'll come out in an unhealthy way. But when God does things and moves in ways we might not like or don't understand, our default is often to decide that it must not be God then. But we must be very careful. It's a very dangerous game to decide whether God is in something or not based on whether you like it or feel comfortable with it. For me, almost all of the most godly moments I have experienced were neither comfortable nor easy. The vast majority of them were deeply challenging and very uncomfortable on many levels. So we've got to be careful that we don't kind of judge whether God's in something by our ease of it. Because it's highly unlikely. If it's very easy, it's probably unlikely to be God, actually. And again, it's okay to be angry, but and more, more, it's okay to be angry because you've been hurt. That's fine. But just... Just ponder through where that anger's actually directed. Yeah, I think that's all I need to say. Just ponder through. I, I, think, I think this question is really key for many of us. And, and you can submit angry for hurt, pained, upset, frustrated, whatever. What do you have to be angry about? And you might start with a long list. That's okay. You can start with a long list. But then I think we've got to go, okay, Lord, am I angry because you are being God and I don't like it? Well, that's okay. But let's not stay there because that won't be helpful for anybody. I want us to take communion together. If any of the kids want to help give it out, that would be wonderful. Let's try and maintain this sense that we've got right now. Um, but I just want us to... Father, we recognize that we hurt in all sorts of ways. And that we react and respond in all sorts of ways to all sorts of things that go on. But Lord, we... I want to say sorry if consciously or unconsciously we have been angry when it's be you that's been at work and when you have been doing what you want to do on the face of the earth. We are sorry, Lord, if we have reacted out of our anger or our hurt or our pain because, Lord, we want your kingdom to come on the face of the earth and your will to be done. That's our heart, Father. We want your will to be done. Your kingdom come. And Father, we ask that even as we take this bread and this juice, Lord, as we have said sorry, Lord, that you would start a healing process in our hearts, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's eat and drink. <laughs>